Amen and amen because he lives. If you notice on your bulletin, I did not get the title change. I changed it on the computer, but I must have not have hit the save button. This morning, I want us to look at uh, the better life. I am ex- excited today to be at this point in our study of the book of Romans, the foundation of our faith. It seems that uh, Paul writing to the Romans there for well, it seems like months on end, he was pounding the idea that we're sinners, that we're condemned, and that there's no hope, and that everyone in the world is a sinner. And I do want to make a little correction this week from what I said last week, in case maybe it was taken wrong, when I said we might could use the phrase, the devil made me do it. The devil cannot make us do anything. He does tempt us. And he is the father of lies. And what I was saying is we might could look at that way since he is the father of lies and sin. But we must make the choice. So I do want to just correct that in case someone took me the wrong way and saying the devil made me do it. We have no responsibility. Because we did look very much how Paul accepted the responsibility even though he was a sinner. Now what I want us to look at, as I said, I'm so excited. Coming off of last week, Paul made the statements that he did what he didn't want to do. You all remember this? And what he did want to do, he wasn't doing. Paul was saying, I'm a sinner. And it doesn't matter how much I try because the flesh that's in me, I have. All of us on this side of eternity are living in flesh. We're living in a corrupted body and we will sin regardless of the state of our life here on earth. Which when we understand that is bad news. Because the Bible is very clear from the first book to the last book. That the requirement for sin is death. A sinner is owed nothing. A sinner has earned nothing but a life separated from God in a hot, burning, eternal hell of flames. And when we look at scripture and we look at what he's writing to the Romans and understand that because we have flesh, we're sinners, then it looks like what he's saying is we have nothing to look forward to in life but hell. I am so excited to be in chapter 8 because let me tell you, he begins to tell the rest of the story. If you'll take your Bibles this morning and open to Romans chapter 8, and once you've turned there, if you would stand, I remember he's writing to the believers, to the church that is in Rome. There are some, I forget what it is, 30,000 people or, or probably more than that that live in Rome. It was the epicenter of the Asian Empire, the Roman Empire. He's writing to these churches here, and let's look at these verses. I want you to hear what they say and the good news that we get from this. Verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. 
For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised your mortal bodies through the Spirit. Excuse me. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Father God, I thank you this morning for your word. Father, I do pray again and ask, Lord, that you would fill me for this moment. And Father, I ask that you would soften our hearts and open our ears to hear from Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would speak and that you would reveal to us the word. And Father God, I just pray everything in the precious, most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated. This morning, I want us to to really look at in these verses at three things that I believe we need to understand that's vital for the foundations of faith, which is what the whole book of Romans is. We're going to talk a little bit this morning about condemnation. We're going to talk about who's in control of our life and how to be controlled by the Spirit. Those three things we're going to pull out of this text this morning as God has presented it to us here in his word. The first thing this morning I want us to look at is the sentencing. If you have your outline there, we're going to use three different points this morning, all beginning with the letter S. The first one being the sentencing. And what do I mean by that? But for the believer, remember Paul has been writing for all these last several chapters about how there's sin in the life and that sin came through Satan and passed down through the bloodline of Adam and that everybody that's born is a a sinner because we have this flesh and that we sin. And then even the Paul, the one we call the hero, he says, even I struggle with this. And he really got personal last week when he talked about, I want to do the right thing and I just can't. I can't do it. And I believe most of us could put ourselves there that we want to do the right thing, but because of this flesh and the war that's going on between the earthly nature and the new nature that we had, we talked about that twin, that we still sin. And we should be striving to become better. Every single day we live, we should strive to become more like Christ. And then here he's telling us, and this is what I like, because if you stop at verse 7, it would be a grim, excuse me, if you would stop at chapter 7, we would kind of begin to get a grim picture 
understanding that we all sin and that sinners are due condemnation. But look at chapter 8 verse 1. It says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, I think, can we get an amen? Does that excite y'all? There's no condemnation. If you're a believer, there's no condemnation. Well, let me help you with that. Some of you are not getting as excited as I did when saying, what is condemnation? Maybe we want to start there. Let me explain that to you. I looked that up. What is condemnation? What was it meant? What did they understand when Paul was writing this? The condemnation is used in the term of condemnation. It does not just merely pronounce guilt, but it also adjudicates punishment. What am, I, what am I talking about? Adjudication is a judicial decision or sentence. So what is condemnation? Condemnation is not just a sentence of guilt. Let me phrase it this way. Condemnation is not just saying that we're a sinner. We're guilty. We're all guilty of sin. If you don't think so, then you know, we need to talk later about that. We are all guilty of sin, but what is the condemnation? It's not just saying it's guilty, but here is your sentence, and the sentence of a guilt of just one sin in your life is eternal separation from God, condemned to hell forever. So, as a believer... Because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross, he shed his blood as a believer. When we call out on him of faith, God says we're no longer condemned. We no longer have the sentence of death, hell, and separation from him. Amen. We are with God. You know what? He's so great that God says when you accept me, not only are you not condemned, but I declare you as righteous. We are not righteous in the flesh. But because of Christ and what Christ did through his blood on the cross. But who? It says here, therefore, and he's talking about all those passages before. You've heard that before. If you're ever reading scripture and you see therefore, stop and look and see what it's there for. It's referring back to all of the sin. It's referring back to that even as a believer, I still sin. But he says that there's no condemnation for those what? Who are in Christ. What does it mean to, to be in Christ? Well, let's see what God's word says. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent! And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we call on God for who he is, when we repent of our sins, when we confess with our mouth that we're sinners and that Jesus Christ is the only way and we call on him, he forgives us and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. We are then in Christ because you see, those who are in Christ are not condemned. Why is that? Because Christ has set you free. Christ sets the believer free. You see, the law has pointed out that we were sinners. 
The law, the purpose of the law says we're sinners. It shows us that we're sinners. The law cannot save us. Scripture tells us that. Guess what? We cannot, re- we cannot save ourselves. I don't care what you do. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. It's all about Christ and the blood that he shed on the cross. Why is that all important? The purpose of the law. The law shows that we're all sinners and the law says there is a consequence for sinning. And unlike the laws we have today, there's a consequence that gets followed when you sin. It's not just a law that says, don't do this. It says that when you're a sinner, it requires death. And that everyone on the face of the earth has sinned at least once. And that they're due death. That's what the law requires. But in Christ, he took our place on that cross. He is the one who died, but he was victorious over death when he rose out of the grave. We also see here God's love. You see, it's in Christ That we get the nature of who God is. God is love. God's not what he is. It's not what he does. But he is love. And because of that, God sent his son to fulfill the law. Let me read this verse to you real quick. Jesus was speaking in Matthew 5 and he says, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Jesus didn't come and die on that cross to do away with the law. Why is that? Because we need the law to know that we're sinners. But Jesus said, I did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. What does that mean? Did Jesus just come and keep the law perfect? Yes, he did. He never sinned. But Jesus, showing God's love, came to fulfill the law because he fulfilled the death penalty for us. Something that we cannot do in ourselves but he through God's love fulfilled that law so Christ came and the sentencing I can tell you real quickly if you're in Christ you're not condemned if you're not in Christ you're condemned we're going to look at that in just a moment the second thing I want us to look at is what is the source maybe we could ask that question who's in control of our life You see your sinful nature? Is that who's in control? Or is it the Holy Spirit in you that controls you? Good question, Pastor. I got one better for you. You ready? How do you know who's in control? If who's in control is there, how do you know? What do you think about? Where's your mind go all the time? Not only what do you think about, but more than that, where does your mind stay? What is the focus? What is the attention of your life? What dominates your mind? Let's look there at Romans 8 verse 5. It says, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. What do you set your mind to? What do you spend your time doing? Yes, we have to work. We have to earn an income. But is that all that drives us? Is it more money and more money and more money? Is it more prestige? Is it driving forth? I just finally want to retire so I don't have to do nothing. What is it? That drives us. What is our fulfillment? What is dominating our mind? It says right here that it's one thing or the other. It's either the flesh, 
The sinful nature, it says in verse 5, it says those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Not saying that every single thought we ever have is nothing but worshiping God. Praise the Lord, one day we'll be there. Trust me. We're going to have things to do in heaven, but let me tell you the greatest thing that's going to happen, the moment that we die and we get in the presence of God, the only thing we're going to do is want to fall on our knees and praise him because we'll see how great and how glorious he is. But on this side of the earth, how do we know where we are? Because are we condemned or are we not condemned? Well, where is your mind? If your mind's always in the gutter, as we might say, and you're being controlled by the flesh, then you're condemned. If you have some thoughts of some good and and you're trying to get in God's word, and you know what I mean by letting the Holy Spirit lead you, then you are not being controlled by the flesh. You're being controlled by the Spirit. And if you're in the Spirit, it tells us that we're not condemned. Is your mind set on the flesh or on your own desires? Is your mind set on the things of the Holy Spirit? Does it really matter? Does it really matter? Come on, Pat, are you going to beat me up today? Or does it matter where my mind is? It matters a whole bunch. Look there at verse 6. For the mind set on the, for the, mind set on the flesh is, what do you all have in your scripture? Death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Leave that up there just a minute. Y'all just read that with me real quick. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Does it matter? Yes. Do you want death? Or do you want life and peace? Let me tell you what. It's not just in the eternity. It's not in the life after this life. It's in the life now. You could be dead and miserable and separated from God in this life right now, or you could be living a life of peace. You see, the mind set on the flesh is also known as the carnal mind. Some of your Bibles might have that. The carnal mind. What is the problem with carnality? Well, according to verse 6, it leads to death. And I don't know about you, but I don't want death. Amen? I want life. We need to set our mind on that. What is death? You look that up in a big book I have. It's got several initials for the authors of it. It takes the the Greek words and it translates them out. Death. One possibility for death is the termination of physical life. We all know about death too well in the physical termination of life. We've had caskets here in this church with deceased in them. Probably every one of you sitting in this room, with the exception of a few, I have been in your life through a death that you have occurred. But another definition of death is viewed transcendently in contrast to a living relationship with God. This death here It's probably talking about both, but primarily it's talking about that relationship with God. You see, we're born into this flesh. And we're born with a sinful nature and we sin. And the moment we come to that point that we realize what sin is. And we realize that we need a savior and we reject it. At that very moment, our life is dead in relationship to Christ. To God. But because of what God did, he restores that. That 
6 there says the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Life in the physical sense or life in the transcendent life, the life of the believer who proceeds from God and Christ because we're at peace with God. Without this peace, we're constantly trying to do something. We're constantly trying to fill a void. We're trying to put a round peg in a square hole or whatever that is. I get off on my stuff. Y'all know me by now on that. But there's just something missing. And all we want to do is try to fill a void. There's no peace in our life. I know I say this oftentimes because people look up to movie stars and musicians and these people they call heroes because according to the world standards, they have everything. But when you get alone, if we could ever really get alone and get inside, those who are without Christ, I guarantee you, are some of the most unhappy people on this earth. There is no peace in their life. You know, I was sitting in a restaurant yesterday and I was looking at these two different families talking and you could tell by their life kind of what they were saying that they were not in Christ and you could see on their face the anguish of the life that they were living. Talking about all the troubles that they had in their life and I was... I just wanted to jump up and say, get God and live his way and your life will change. There will be peace there. Why is there no peace apart from God? Paul tells him that. Look at verse 7. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is even not even able to do so. According to verse 7, the carnal mind is the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. God is the creator, the love. He provides the peace. And when we're in hostility with him, there is no peace. That's why the Christian believer calls on Christ to be the Lord and the Savior of their life. If God's not in control and the flesh is in control, there is a battle. And when you're in a battle, there's no peace. Have you ever been at odds with someone you love? Have you ever been at odds with your spouse? Don't answer that. The other spouse, don't answer for the other one either. But in your own mind, have you ever been at odds with your parents? You see, there was no peace until the relationship was restored Now let's look at verse 8. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Until you can please God, there is no peace. In the flesh, there is no peace. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6. Leave your finger there at Romans 8. We're coming back. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What's it saying? If we give in to the sinful nature, it's going to bring corruption. If we give in to the Spirit, we're going to get peace in life. The third thing I want us to end on this morning, your last S is the Spirit. We've talked about this. We've talked about being in Christ. We've talked about needing to follow the Spirit. So how 
Can we be controlled by the Spirit? Because if that's what it is, if I tell you you need to be controlled by the Spirit, then I would be at fault if I left you right there. But we need to look at what Paul says about how to be controlled by the Spirit. He doesn't just tell us to do it. He doesn't just leave us there. All right? The Spirit, if you want to be controlled by the Spirit, the Spirit must reside in you. The Spirit must be in us. How many times have you ever heard the question asked, or have you ever asked, do you know Jesus? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever heard someone ask that question? Well, I might say baloney, that ain't the one that needs to be asked. What we need to be asked is, does Jesus know you? Is Jesus in you? Paul wrote to the Romans about this very thing. Let's look at verse 9. However... Now, here we're picking up from everything we just looked at. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. He must dwell in us. A residing place. There's that definition that I looked up again. Uh, to reside in a place. To live and to well. Does Christ live in you? Is there room in Christ for you? Is there room in your heart for Christ? Is there room in your mind for Christ? Let me just read to you. It's probably up on the screen. John 14, 23. I'll just stay there at Romans. Let me read this. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our abode with him. If we love him, we keep his words, we've called on him, we've been obedient to his standards of salvation, he will come and he will abode. He doesn't just come, we hope he's not a guest. He comes to dwell in our life. 1 Corinthians says it this way. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? We often talk of inviting Christ into our hearts. We might could say, you know, that Christ is the true southern gentleman. He will never Come in or go where he's not invited. You want to be controlled by the Spirit? He must be in you. You must invite Christ into your life. We are no longer our own at that moment because we've been purchased by Christ's atoning work on the cross. So he must dwell in us, but we must have the Spirit of Christ in us to be his. There at Romans 8 9 again. It says, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Without the Spirit of Christ in us, we're just lost sinners condemned to hell. Without the Spirit of Christ in us, we do not belong to him. Without the Spirit of Christ in us, we are helpless and weak. And without the Spirit of Christ in us, we are dead. We are dead in our relationship to God, but worse than that, remember I said there was two terminologies for death, one of them being the relationship with God is death, but without Christ, the worst one is the one where life ceases, because at the moment life ceases, if you don't have him, then you have hell for all of eternity. There's no other way around it. It's forever. 
With Christ in us, we're alive. Look at verse 10. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is in life because of righteousness. Even our spirits will be reunited with Christ. We have a relationship with Christ even though the flesh is dead. The moment the flesh ceases to be, that other definition is died and it's buried. Guess what? As believers, we're going to get that body back. It's going to be renewed. It's going to be renewed to an everlasting life. Even our mortal, physical bodies we will get back. It tells us at Romans 8.11, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, I love this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trump will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must put on imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. God is going to raise us up out of that grave and we will be reunited. I know some people don't believe that. I believe it wholeheartedly. I see it several places in scripture. Jesus Christ, when he come out of the grave, he had his same body. He still had the scars that had been changed to an imperishable body. But he had that. We know that Christ is in heaven. And we see other places in scripture where we're going to get a new body. It's not a, a new body. God doesn't give us a different body. He takes the one that we have and he changes it to a glorious, imperishable body. Now here it is, church. We're sinners. And every sinner deserves death. But in Christ, we get eternal life. What do I mean by that? Let me just, you know, God gives us a very real, vivid, and clear picture in the gospel according to John. Let's look at John chapter 3 verse 18. John chapter 3 verse 18. Listen. This is clear. It's vivid. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Very vivid picture, very clear. If you don't believe in Christ, you're condemned to hell. You are getting what you deserve. That deserve the sentence. The law says death for sin. But isn't it great that in God, he that believeth on him is not condemned. We don't get condemned. We don't get what we deserve, but we get mercy and grace. So my last question for you today. Do you believe or do you not? Are you condemned already or are you not condemned? Would you bow your heads this morning?
Just listen as I read that again. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Praise the Lord. He didn't say, okay, people, I want you to come. I love you. You sinned. You're all just going to burn up in hell forever. He didn't say, no, let me give you all these guidelines. And now, people, I want you to come, but you've got to do A, B, and C. And if you can't do that, then you're not coming to me. He got real and he got honest. God did with his people. Believe he's told us in his word that we're sinners and that we are condemned to hell. But he says, I love you more than that. And he says, I know that you can't do it. It's impossible. He says, I know that because I made it that way. Because you can't do it. But he said, I love you enough that even though you hate me right now, I'm going to take my only begotten son. I'm going to send him to earth so that he can be like you. And he's going to live perfect. He's not going to deserve death. But because of you, people are going to spit on my son. They're going to beat my son. They're going to whip him till he ain't got no flesh left on his back. And then they're going to parade him down some road in front of everybody. And while he's barely even able to hang on, they're going to put him on two boards. And they're going to take nails and drive through his hands. And through his feet. Because he's going to shed his blood and give his life. Because that's my requirement. But I love you enough that I'm going to pay the requirement myself. All you must do is believe. Believe that what he did is enough. Believe that he is the only way. There's no other way. And that you can do it. And then you admit to me that you're a sinner. And you call for my son, through the Holy Spirit, to come and indwell in you. And he will. But when he comes, he's not just coming as Savior. He's coming as Lord of your life. Church, where are you? Where's your neighbors? Where are your friends? This morning, if you're here... And I I know I say this every week. But if you're here and you don't know Christ, today, church, is the day. We're not guaranteed the next. We might not get out of this parking lot today. We might just all die right here. Are you ready to die? Does Jesus know you? If Holy Spirit's speaking to you about that, I want to encourage you to come in just a moment and let me share with you. And trust me, please hear me. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks because I promise what's in their heart is going to be rejoicing. Doesn't matter how long you've been a member of the church, how long you've been on the church roll. What matters is, is that relationship right with Christ. Are you condemned or are you not condemned? It's one or the other. It's black and white. Like I heard somebody say one time, God's word's black, white, and red. There's no gray in it. Where are you today? 
the most important decision of your life. You might say, Pastor, I'm fine with the Lord. I know without a shadow of a doubt that he's my Savior. I want to ask you this morning, have you been living a life that's allowed him to be Lord? Or do you need to just confess to him today? Do you maybe need to rededicate your life and just say, God, you know, I've really blown it. I just want to come back and I want to start afresh right now. I know some people say that ain't biblical. I do believe it's biblical. Every day we go to the Lord and ask to restart. If you want to, come in just a moment and let me pray with you. Maybe you're here and you just need to praise the Lord because you're not condemned. We'll give you a few moments for that. If you would just stand right where you are, just leave your heads bowed this morning.